Welcome back, everybody, to the Scarlet Thread Society. As always, our best practices, lock your door, close your windows, cover your mirrors, and grab a little bit of tobacco. We're back tonight talking about really what's been an ongoing theme for us here. That is crime and the breakdown of society, how elites profit from it. Joining me yet again, if you'd care to introduce yourself, sir. Hey, everybody. You might remember me. I'm Mike. I'm Paz's uh, occasional collaborator over the past, I'd say, probably about a year now. Um, probably right about, yeah. Yeah, we're here to talk about you know some of the trends that have been going on. Um, Paz, why don't you why don't you start? Well, the most appropriate place to start is probably the catalyst event, right? Right. Would have been about a week ago. You were on a Twitter break, right? And you got a hold of me via other secretive, shadowy back channels, and we were talking about the stabbing of the Cash App CEO. Was it founder? CTO. CTO. CTO, one of the early employees. Yes. Um, now, mind you, the the kind of interesting complication here is that about a week before his stabbing, actually on March 23rd, uh, this short research firm called Hindenburg, who you know have a, a litany of targets in their kind of long history, and you know everybody always says in the business community, nobody likes a short seller. Um, you know, because effectively what these guys do is they bet against companies, and you know, in a lot of cases they use the power of narratives that they can feed uh, to bring down otherwise good companies. I'm not saying that that's what's going on here. I mean, if you read the Hindenburg report on block, um, you probably know there are more famous products of cash app and square. Uh, so the CTO was recently stabbed to death on the streets of San Francisco at three in the morning um, with a former CTO rather. He's apparently no longer with the company. Uh, but, you know, again, this is a guy who's pretty high up, pretty tight in the circle of Jack Dorsey and that whole crowd. Um, you know, the you know new princes of fintech, if you will. So if you read this report on from Hindenburg, they really just go right in. And I'm going to pass. I'm going to ask you to pick it up for about 30 seconds while I find this quote. Yeah, sure. So the thing to keep in mind, too, folks as he was kind of alluding to, is this wasn't necessarily just some random stabbing, and we'll get into this more as it goes on, but there's a lot of stuff that was around this that started to reek, and that's kind of what got the wheels churning for me and Mike. And we're going to get into some other stuff as this goes on, because there's a very clear pattern here. The clever among you might already be picking up on it, but suffice to say, I firmly believe there's more to it than what's being said. I would say another thought I didn't quite get a chance to sneak in there while Mike was talking. Examine the name Hindenburg as we get ready to read this report from them. So this isn't from the executive summary of the report. Core to the issue is that Block has embraced one traditionally very underbanked segment of the population, criminals. The company's Wild West approach to compliance made it easy for bad actors to mass create accounts for identity fraud and other scams, then extract funds quickly. So Cash App, you've probably heard it, you know, if you listen to Drill Rap. Um, I don't know why anybody would, but, you know, 
they do in fact talk about cash app uh so block's whole you know positioning mission statement if you will has been they're a mission-driven company serving the unbanked and others who have been left behind by the traditional banking system now those people do exist but in this case it's almost like you have you know between crypto and cash app cash app is like it, 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 they effectively were running it with all of the kind of implied anonymity of of, of crypto, but with a, a lot of the, you know the theoretical features of a bank account, right? Um, That's exactly what was going on. I mean, there was actually fairly stringent know your customer stuff attached to Cash App. Yeah, How much it, of it was actually turned over to compliance and fully well, regulated is you know outside of our knowing but there was actual banking regulation in place right um but you know it appears that they weren't actually complying with that um this report apparently uh according to a non-profit organization cash app was by far the top app uh used in reported sex trafficking um apparently they also you know in compliance this hindenburg firm Talks about being able to register fake accounts in the in the names of Elon Musk and Donald Trump, and then also uh, then also send money between those two f- fake. Names. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so seemingly, they just in June of 2022 started requiring actual full social security numbers. When in the past, they apparently did not. I can't ever remember registering mine with Cash App, and I actually use it pretty regularly as opposed to Venmo and some of the other ones. Right. Um, So apparently that's a tacit admission that they haven't. But, you know, again, you're looking at one of the kind of main conduits of main conduits and enablers of a lot of small-scale crime. Um, And then you're going to tell me that in three Three in the morning, the former CTO, a, a week after <laughs> this damning report, you know, going directly for Jack Dorsey uh, and pretty much everybody and pretty much everybody involved in the company, you know, effectively saying that they are whatever money the company does make of which is not actually much. It is actually making its money from the facilitation of petty crime. Well, uh, you know, again, not to. Not to de-emphasize any of the particular crimes, you know, there's clear examples of murders for hire paid for with cash app, clear examples of prostitution, child sex trafficking paid for. Well, we know what you mean when you say petty crime, though. Right, right. Like, it, we're not talking about transferring, you know, shipping containers full of money. We're talking about five, you know, fifty dollars to $25,000 at a time, right? Right. Uh, so it's interesting then that the CTO, former CTO, turns up stabbed to death in the middle of the street in San Francisco in the middle of the night, isn't it? Of all the the kind of things to have happened, because um, you know this isn't the type of guy that you expect to get stabbed to death in San Francisco, right? No, you'd think he's at home tucked in bed or doing some meditation wellness retreat. This isn't a random crime victim. Right, or you know, if something were to happen, it would be in his house from you know some other sorted, sorted detail he was involved in. Uh, so before Paz, Paz and I were planning on recording earlier, but you know, things happened outside of our control. But 
they actually have made an arrest in the suspect or uh, an arrest in the murder. Um, who's a well-known crypto tech executive. Um, what he was doing with Bob Lee, the cash app guy in his car at two thirty-five in the morning. Kind of that's what you got to wonder about, right? It's a very, very much an open question at this point. And as far as I know, the police are not talking about a possible motive at this point either. It not. got mum very, very quick after this all happened. Right. Now, there are accusations that this guy, you know, is effectively running a one-person shop, but that's, you know, really not altogether that common. Or not uncommon, right? Um, entirely reasonable that he would be running a one-man consulting practice, a one-man development shop, and somehow affiliated with Cash App. But, you know, there's all types of complications now. The police are speculating that may have, uh, it might be some issue around the sister. Uh, so, really, it's it's just kind of one of these things, right? That it sort of just kind of popped out of the milieu. And I doubt we're ever going to really hear the definitive reason. Uh, well, and we never really do for anything, do we? Right. So the story that they're going with right now is that this guy, uh, you know, who's a tech worker, obviously a, a white-collar goon of some kind, his name is Nima Momani. Um, him and Bob Lee were driving around at 2.35 in the morning, and they had some type of an altercation, apparently, which, at which point Mr. Momani stab Bob Lee to death, um, either inside his car or outside the car. Uh, it's entirely unclear how they ended up in the car together. It's entirely unclear how they knew each other. There's speculation that it has something to do with his sister, uh, but the police have apparently recovered the, the murder weapon. Uh, yeah, it's apparently disputed as to whether or not it actually has been recovered or not. Uh, so again, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of murk and churn here. Uh, so, and to be fair, it's not like murder investigations happen overnight. No. But especially when there's a high-profile victim, you don't necessarily get in the habit of hearing nothing, right? Right. If this had happened even 10 years ago, this would be the news item of the month instead of just gone. Uh, but, you know, the police are confirming certain details, leaving others out. So it, it's just interesting as to what is being released uh, and what is not being released. Uh, but, the, you know, the fact that they searched the sister's, the sister's apartment is a little, a little weird, right? Like, that's not typical procedure. In now, these types I of know what you're talking about here, but in the interest of the audience, whose sister is it? Um, so the murder suspect. Yep. Yeah. So, but like all of this naturally is going on in the background of a veritable crime wave of which San Francisco is kind of the poster child, right? Um, you know, it's all over Fox News. It's all over Newsmax. It's all over One America. Pretty much anybody um, 
anybody with an axe to grind for any issue is looking at, at kind of the deterioration of San Francisco in real terms, the open air drug markets, the homeless, um, and the fact that they're not prosecuting theft below $900. Right. And, and all those other, you know, policies, the Soros DA and, you know, but where, where are we going with this? What is the kind of grand point here? And, you know, we've been kind of talking about the, the catalyst for a long time and we've been speculating, uh, but let's, I guess, jump into the meat of this. Like, why, why do you want chaos and what, what can you kind of do with it, right? Because that, that's what I think the more interesting phenomenon and what does any, you know, individual crime within this kind of overall pattern tell us about where things are headed and, and what, you know, they might be trying to pull off with all this, right? Uh, so obviously chaos just creates a kind of fertile opportunity, right? Where people just disappear. Bad things happen. You know what I mean? Random <laughs> crime, right? Like the yes, weapon. sir. Um, so you look back to Renaissance Italy. You look back to, you know, the historical murder rates. There's a chart you've probably seen on, on social media where it says, you know, American cities are as dangerous as medieval Europe. And I'd like to, if you can find that chart, take a look at it. Um, there's a big spike in the crime rate in Italy right before the year 1500, right before the Renaissance takes off. Look to American history, look to the 70s, uh, look to the 1920s, and then look to the to the decades after. Crime waves always pre- precede massive social change, right? The criminal element is a battering ram um, kind of against the middle and whatever strings that they might have on kind of certain firewalls of civil liberty, if you will, certain firewalls of tradition. I think that's a really good way of putting it. And to your point there, I wouldn't say you can map it as cleanly as the four turnings or fifth turning, whatever they call that theory, but it happens with an almost perfect regularity and in an, and in an almost perfect pattern. It is extremely predictable and extremely obvious once you start looking for this pattern, what this pattern is. Correct. Um, But there's really um, a lot of commonalities between all these periods. You have runaway inflation, runaway inequality, right? Uh, Huge disparities in wealth. Um, And then you often see Again, realignments, major changes get pushed through that maybe they they start mm-hmm. to treat the symptoms but not the causes, right? Um, the New Deal being one of those. Uh, 1970s being, you know, one of the, the kind of craziest thing. Pez and I have gone deep on that before. You should go back um, and listen to our older shows on that uh, because we really – I, I think we did a great job covering bank robbery and the whole zeitgeist of the period. Uh, but to get back into this, look at what happened with crime, right? And then look at what Ronald Reagan was able to do and upend, you know, a lot of the traditional protections that we had. Um, Ronald Reagan was able to destroy the unions, you know, like everybody always says, only Nixon could go to China. Well, only Ronald Reagan could break the back of labor unions, right? Um and not just him, but even the ones that immediately followed him. Right. Now, H.W. continued that same work. And then Clinton again got a mini-repeat of the same phenomena. 
Exactly. And, you know, the Clinton crime bill <laughs> prohibiting assault weapons. So like one of the fourth, I think it was like the fourth major kind of fourth major attack on the second amendment of the 20th century, in my opinion, you know, up there with the two, with the uh, national firearms act, the firearms owner protection act and the gun control act of 68 or 64. I forget which, um, you know, again, all of these things preceded by crime waves where you have a certain element of the population being intentionally demonized and kind of used as the scapegoat for the kind of system's lack of ability to, to, you know, cover its own ass, if you will, on the kind of lack of ability or intentional lap. Right. Which I think is something we might get to. If you don't, I will. Go ahead. Go. Well, we don't necessarily need to talk about it right this minute. But as always on the Scarlet Thread Society, we have an eye towards what's happening in the shadows, who's moving where when you can't see it in broad daylight. And going back to the catalyst crime for this episode, well, why was it these two individuals outside of the typical crime wave demographic? Now, I mean, the, you know, the classic theories are this guy probably either lost a lot of money, lost, stood to lose money in the future. Um, there was something personal going on between these two gentlemen. There was something personal going on between, um, you know, these two gentlemen and an involved third party, um, you know, with one or both. Uh, the sister, perhaps some combination of all three. This guy could have just been a, a lunatic stalker, right? Like maybe they met at a benefit once while this guy was trying to, you know, in San Francisco is. <laughs> It is in California for as much as it is a hub of kind of tech and innovation and all that. Um, inherently, it, it borrows just as much from Hollywood. Um, and, you know, the cultivating a certain image of a, of a tech founder and people do get stalkery and people do get crazy, right? Uh, There's no question about that. Right. And, you know, Silicon Valley had some of the earliest kind of <laughs> major agglomerations of occultists on the West Coast um, in the post-war period, right? Going back even before that, Crowley and his famous tour of the West. Right. I derailed us a little bit there, but my point was simply this, and, you know, we'll get back to what you were saying in a second, but I also want to draw the listeners' eyes to FedNow and the Federal Reserve's Cash App equivalent. First for banks, but have no doubt it'll be a central bank digital currency for you and me within the decade. Right. And, you know, again, look at all the kind of alternative nodes that pick up credibility. You can see that they're either all compromised from the start. Like, look at Tor. Tor is literally a project of naval intelligence. Uh, Bitcoin, I think that there's entirely a good argument to say that it is 100% 100% controlled and backdoored by some type of a large sovereign entity, you know, the usual suspects kind of pick your poison, pick your preference there as to who you think it is. But I mean, my money, if I had to put it on any individual actor, it would be the NSA. Um, <laughs> Satoshi hasn't revealed himself because Satoshi doesn't exist. Yeah, S- Satoshi is the exact type of logic game that that these types of, of people attracted to this work would kind of build in and wait for somebody to figure out the code behind the code behind the code, right? 
like these are these are puzzle makers, right? These are code breakers. This is the type of work the NSA actually does. Um, the NSA is not so much about sneaking around as it is the absorption and the processing of data and you know, logic games, algorithms. You know, really the kind of cutting edge of mathematical tomfoolery, if you will. Absolutely. No question at all. So anyway, so why would, why would Cash App kind of fit into all of this? And as we said, Cash App is one of the kind of primary facilitators of low-level crime. Um, and why would it be important to them to kind of have that remain in place, right? And have that, or if it is to get rolled up, be rolled up elegantly, right? So maybe Bob is the guy you got to get rid of. Maybe the other guy is just crazy and it's entirely unrelated. But there are people who within Cash App are already willing to talk. And a lot of them have already talked to Hindenburg. Um, Some of that is just frank and frankly insider trading because Hindenburg's got a greatest hits book. Um, That is really pretty good, right? (laughs) For for lack of a better better way to put it, these guys are sharks, but they're very good at what they do. And nobody's... Nobody's ever really been able to kind of prove them wrong. Uh, so maybe this is a way for them to, this is one of those things, right? Where just because whether they did it or not is immaterial, but you have to look at who benefits, right? It's not always who immediately benefits from this. Even if it was unrelated, there's enough smoke around this whole thing to make a lot of people who maybe they would talk to a, human trafficking investigation. Maybe they would talk to an organized crime investigation. Uh, Maybe now all of a sudden they're going to think twice, right? So where does that go back to this environment of chaos and kind of how they can use it, right? In an environment of chaos, you get used to people disappearing. You get used to bad things happening to good people. You get used to, you know, people getting rolled up. You get used to somebody having a sort of detail of their life revealed and, you know, them going to jail and, or, you know, getting taken out for having this participation in some kind of sorted sphere. Um, it becomes commonplace and, you know, you never really notice the reasons why you're just like, Oh, well, it was one of those ways of sin is death. Right. To the point I made about the news cycle earlier, that's the fit right there. Where this would have been the story of the month before, this is just another item on the checklist of current year hell world, and we are being actively conditioned by the news media to accept that. Oh, it's a crime wave. Of course there was a high-profile murder. There will be another one in ten days. It's almost like there's a strategy, right? Um... The the best example of, of the practice of this um, comes from Italy, and the word in the language is strategia dell'attenzione, means, like I said, strategy of tension. Uh, the purpose is to create a general feeling of insecurity in the population and make the people seek security in a strong government. And just because the Italian neo-fascists are the ones most associated with it doesn't mean that they were the first or that they're going to be the last. Uh, to do this, the 
Bolsheviks, when they first were in power, you know, in coalition with the liberals, one of the first things that they did was open the jails. Why did they do that? To terrorize the normal people, um, to get people to long for any order, right? Um, this is the type of, of thing where anybody who might form a, you know, alternative block of power might be in your way, for lack of a better word. Well, you know, they got robbed walking out of a restaurant. It's a crime wave, like Paz said. And, you know, going back even further, you think of examples about how nobles in the Middle Ages would encourage their mostly mercenary armies to feed on the lands they were marching through, in some cases even being their own lands. It is the terror tactics of war, written large and brought home from abroad. Excuse me, just drink a little bit of water there. Of course, no problem. But yeah, it, it, this is, you know, Imperial Management 101 brought home. Um, if they are fighting each other, they can't fight you. Um, another famous example of this is Russia during the 1990s. So look at all the score settling that went on. A lot of it was just, for lack of a better word, petty crime. Um and a lot of it was actually more than meet the eye. And it's hard to tell what's going on. You know, you have an environment of mass shootings. You, they're doing this to create more of the mass shootings. And then, you know, maybe one in 20 of those is an actual targeted assassination of somebody. So you're, you're to not riff on that for just a second, I want to throw this out here as a very relevant and on-topic reminder for the audience, remember all the mass shootings that took place within the first year after Vegas? And how many times it just so happened that a Vegas survivor got got in the next shooting they were at? Right. Food for thought there. It's not even just... Not even just that, right? Um, it... These things can all be entirely unrelated, but the fact of the matter is they're all getting played up, right? Um, the society, for lack of a better word, just has this giant gorilla, this 800-pound gorilla in the room, and occasionally it kills between 1 and 58 people, right? Occasionally it takes 33, what was it, 27 rifles up to the the 32nd floor of the Mandalay Bay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something insane like that. But but the gorilla, he, he for all of his brutality and, and his cantankerousness, let it, let it not be said he's not a generous tipper. He will give the bellboys a hundred bucks. But, you know, again, we don't, <laughs> we don't want to end up in, in in an event of stochastic terrorism now, do we? So, so we'll, we'll leave that there. Everybody, uh -huh. everybody knows what we're talking about here. Uh, but so, again, why would they want to do this, right? What, <laughs> they want to do this so that they can control the opposition um, through kind of controlling the crime, right? Because the true opposition is always for like just from one of, of their station, they're always in the underworld um, and the underworld can reach out and touch them. And the number one thing about controlling societies is you have to control vice. You have to control the underworld. You have to control the criminal element. And sometimes they are let off the leash. Um, and we have talked about this before. Sometimes it's productive. Most of the time it is not. Um, so Paz, are we, 
in store for another crime wave. What are they going to try to pull? Why, why here? Why now? So I certainly think we are. I think it's evident at this point that since approximately early 2020, when COVID rolled out, we have been under a new terror regime that has used several fairly innovative tactics and several tried and true ones to terrorize the population for maximal effect. I think personally that it's going to have to do with our currency and that it's another, and I do say another, controlled demolition of the economy following up from 2008. And I think that there's really no particular way to stop it because as soon as you start unleashing these terror tactics, the board's already been set, right? There is no run-up. We're already in the midst of it because when you see these cycles, you don't know they're going to happen until they start, right? They're maybe not planned decades in advance, but the pieces are moved sufficiently stealthily that you don't know it's going to happen until it happens. Right. And, you know, you, you look at where things are headed and, and you look at the emblematic kind of aesthetic features of, of this crime wave versus previous ones. It is not, um, it's not AK-47s and improvised body armor. It's Glocks with witch switches. It's fentanyl-contaminated drugs. Um, all of a sudden, who gives a shit about China, the security state, right? Right. Um, everybody knows where all the fentanyl's coming from. Everybody knows where the cartels get the precursors from. It's only a matter of time before somebody within this kind of milieu puts it all together for us in a nice little package and says, hey, guys, we know where this is coming from. It just so happens they're the same people who want to take out Taiwan, and we can't let them take Taiwan. Now, can we, fellas? That and that's be. where the controlled opposition on the American right comes in handy, isn't it? Exactly. So all of this, you know, again, it's a give-and-take process. I don't mean that they're orchestrating any of it, but... You don't have, have to say that because I will for you. Okay. Well, I mean, again, I... I <laughs> These people are a lot more flexible, I think, than than they are given credit for. Um, and I think that that's kind of what's kept them alive in America because Americans are a volatile people. Like, don't get me wrong. That that part of it is true. And, and they they encourage that and they, they are continually planning that idea in our collective front brain. And we're, you know, in many ways trained to to live up to that ideal, right? And it's it's not... It is not always a bad thing, and it's it's one of the, the things that makes us a great place to live. In my conversations with Daddy, I've brought up that same thing. These people aren't necessarily always setting up these things to happen, but they have the right power, the right resources, the right access to the right networks, that they are always able to take the first and best advantage from anything that they didn't plan. Exactly. And I think that's kind of the point you're making, and I think that is readily apparent after enough study as well. Exactly. And that's what really what I'm talking about, right? They have uh, a way of where even if they're not the ones who they're not the ones who open the wrong valve, <laughs> they're the ones who can make sure that the fire hoses don't work or do work. Uh, so that the right people are, are given credit for putting the fire out, right? Um, 
you look this this type of scenario is often where you see a strong man come in um you know it's going to get rid of the factionalism and, and solve the problems right um maybe it's gavin newsom i don't think so um uh, maybe it's some it's probably more than likely and you know again this is what i always i always say caesar doesn't always look like who you want him to look like it looks like paul kagami you know it looks like who it really looks like is it looks like guys like Benjamin Netanyahu, Moshe Dayan. Um, it's the people who you're, who you're not always necessarily expecting. They're not necessarily coming from that, you know, front part of the elite. They're coming from the back. They're coming from the middle. Look back through the Roman Empire. Look, look back so, to it. I'm, I'm about to say a Paz MK Ultra activation. Look back to Charles Martel and the mayors of the palace. oh man (laughs) oh man yeah (laughs) i am extremely triggered (laughs) (laughs) oh man that is really the perfect analogy thank you so much for that (laughs) oh wow um before we get too much further and while i'm still recollecting myself from that do you think that that is a strike against DeSantis and DeSantis hopefuls? I mean, you know, that might be the, the best argument for DeSantis, right? In, in a lot of ways is that he might be their, their olive branch, right? To a, a certain dissident, disaffected element of American society that says, hey, come back into the tent, right? We need you guys. Just don't start stealing the copper pipes yet. It's not that time. Um, you know, I would make say that in many ways that might be the strongest argument for the governor of Florida, uh, if if you're into that kind of electoral strategizing. But I have no head for it. Right? I'm not into electoral politics either because I do genuinely believe it is a thoroughly rigged show. Right. I just think about that in the context of your comments about Caesar doesn't always look like Caesar. Right. And his public image is being set up as one. Right. Uh, but, you know, again, at the same time, this is America. We are a land of showmen, carnival barkers, uh, revival, tent revival preachers, trial attorneys, showmen, salesmen, same thing. Absolutely. So going back, getting on topic, why the Cash App guy? What does it mean? Even if it is just something personal, right? This is not a thing that typically happens, right? Where people like that stab each other to death at night in San Francisco. Uh, But these are also people who had a front row seat to the degradation, right? To to what are the worst of the worst doing people who expose themselves to the warp, whether they knew that they were actually trying to do that or not. Right. Absolutely. This is not a, a normal thing, right? Like this is not a cause. This is an effect is the point, right? Of, a set of decisions made, right? And I'm not saying that a lot of people, just because you're making decisions doesn't mean the outcomes are selected, right? Um, And and I think that's a a kind of mistake that people make when they're just getting into getting their heads around this stuff, right? Um, It's more like controlling a wildfire for them than it is programming a CNC machine, right? So maybe an analogy people could make some use out of, and one that I've leaned on a lot lately, 
at least in the past few months, is the concept of the OODA loop, right? Right. Think, analyze, decide, act, whatever the actual acronyms are, but that's kind of the system in place, and it's kind of what you're talking about, right? Exactly. Um, you know, they they know what certain things do. They know what that there are certain levers, right? Um, you weren't seeing cash app get mentioned in rap songs for no reason, right? You're not hearing wish.com get name dropped in rap songs uh, for no reason, right? Uh, just stuff is getting selected for it and it plays, right? Um, and part of that is algorithms are self-feeding, egregores are self-feeding. But another part of it is that people are making calls on what should get fed to what, right? Um, so to go back to the cash app, there's even evidence of cash app sponsoring sponsoring drill rappers with you know, money to make music videos um, <laughs> that they reference cash app. <laughs> <laughs> so the next question becomes, well, maybe not the next question, but a little bit of an off topic question. Just how high do you think that sort of decision went then? We talked initially about this guy having been in Dorsey's circle, at least at some point. Right. And we know he's a front-facing mover and shaker. Right. Um, I don't think it was Dorsey who made the call. Um, I I don't even know whether this was intentional um, or a downstream effect of, of their project kind of getting blown up by, you know, and... and and, you know, I guess it depends on, on your perspective as to where Hindenburg fits in all this. Is Hindenburg the front-facing arm of another faction, um, you know, within the kind of – is Hindenburg an outfit of the Swiss who want their their kind of status as the world's premier money launderers back? Um, <laughs> look, I, I'm just asking questions here. They, they did fire John Mack the Knife. Um, for saying that they should open the vaults because what does a bank need a Renoir for? So, again, this was played by their own rules. Um, yeah. Well, am I making that accusation with any type of knowledge or credibility? No. But <laughs> would you would you put it past them? Not remotely. You're talking about the only country that can get away with not <laughs> with not bowing at the altar of the the mass destruction of humanity in, in the black earth, you know? So to bring this all back in a circle, what, what is another kind of part of the crime wave? Uh, the crime wave actually helps them to start to pierce some of these asset price bubbles, right? Uh, to start to steal more wealth. Um, you know, look at the amount of wealth that was destroyed as they deindustrialized the cities in the sixties, the seventies, and the eighties. Right? Uh, look at the impoverishment of the you know, working and middle classes in vast swaths of this country. Uh, look at, at what happened in Appalachia and the coal fields of this country after they were shut down. Right? Um, those places are now pumped full of fentanyl. Right? Uh, and again. Where are they recruiting from in order to fight these wars of empire? The Midwest, the Southeast, Appalachia specifically, right? Um, so is this all targeted? Does this all kind of – a lot of it just fits together for, for you know a whole confluence of reasons fair and foul, right? Uh, 
but it is all related and it is all going back to a phenomenon of a society off the rails and that's not bad for everyone right everybody knows that excellence flourishes in chaos and chaos selects for excellence brutality creativity right Uh, again and that's why i made the point that caesar doesn't always look like who you think it's gonna look like maybe a little more esoteric way of putting it is that the chaos of these events always selects for left-hand traits, what some of the rationalists might call shadow work. Sure. You know, these concepts where they're kind of a double-edged sword and they're associated with bad people because bad people often have them in spades. Um, You know, ambition and ability to hurt people without remorse, etc., etc. Exactly. Uh, but, you know, again, it, it sometimes backfires on them. <laughs> they don't always win in these situations. Um, they tried this in the French, you know, you could take this back to the French Revolution. This strategy was tried and they ended up with Napoleon, right? Um, again, not to get, not to. Not to bring it in, but I guess that's also a referendum on what you think about the Freemasons, what you think about Napoleon and the entire. Right. Whether the Virginia Lodges were propping up their French counterparts in a power play. Right. Like, and what all, what all in any of this has to do with the city of London. (laughs) One of my favorites, of course. Right. Which is to say, I don't know, but would you put it past them? The answer to that question is no. Um, and that's really what you have to look at. Um, you have to look at what, what we know that they've done and then ask yourself if turning this, the streets of New York City and San Francisco into a war zone, um, whether or not you think that they would whether, – whether you look at what they – that we know that they've done, look at what they've done in our name to Iraq and to Afghanistan and ask yourself, would they not do that here? Look at what they've done in Mexico – or what they've allowed to happen in Mexico. I would would go so far as to say, look at what they've already done in the U.S.'s history. We were talking about the 1920s, or we brought it up in passing, but what people don't realize is, you know, look at the sort of people who pushed prohibition. That came from people with influence in the legislature. It came from old money Anglo families, seeing they could open up a new market and make profit in illegal alcohol. And if these gangs ran wild as a result, well, that just gave them new upstart business partners. Exactly. Uh, because in, in chaos, there's opportunity, right? You, you are pushing out the people who don't have the stomach for hard choices. Um, you are you know, lighting a fire, lighting a fire for the purposes of not making the forest stronger, but seeing if there's any species that are resistant, right? Um, and it it is a really diabolical strategy, right? Because it, it preys upon people's need for order. It preys upon, you know, just the the lack of, of the lack of an ability to abstract things and, and look at them, you know, on both levels, the, the micro and the macro and, and really understand what's being done to them and for them and in their name. Right. Um, 
and that's what makes it so insidious and, and hard to kind of get people past. Like, so, so they drop the ball on Oklahoma City, right? That, that's just people. People make mistakes, right? We didn't know. <laughs> Not only did they know, they were pushing on both sides against the middle, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and why would they be doing that? Why wouldn't they, right? Who benefits the most? The same people, right? Um, at a certain point, you have to ask, there seems to be a lot of fires around some of these organizations, right? Uh, it's almost like they're firemen lighting fires in order to keep their own jobs, right? Uh, is it even them? I don't know. <laughs> It's an easy person to look at, though. That's going to be the first suspect, which can be either an example of Occam's razor or the inversion of the razor, the pause principle. Right. I mean, or there's the kind of synthesis of those two approaches is is that, well, of course, it's them doing the things, but it's not them making the decisions, right? Right. Um, But there, there also is just this phenomenon right like of the the secret police will always lose control it is a 100 percent truism they will always always and everywhere lose control of the operation you know at one point they lost control of east germany they just will always lose control of these types of operations and the reason is is that as, as i said before most people are not wired for this type of environment when these types of operations become too dependent on normal people um, both participating and turning a blind eye, and they collapse in and of their own way, right? So without getting too much into my political science background and without staring too much at mainstream current events, because I really don't like doing this on that show, I will just say that's why there's been such a concern about populism and rising populism, right? Because populism doesn't actually mean popular support. Populism is coded language for support of the middle class. Right. And that's what they're afraid of. Because what you keep emphasizing is that the classes that thrive in chaos are the cold-blooded ones that are already at the true top of the ladder and the ones with nothing to lose at the bottom. And that's what we've been talking about with imperial management and bringing these things home from the frontiers. It's also kind of connected to this really interesting Twitter thread I saw the other day talking about how crime is one of the surefire ways to move between social classes. And that's something we've also talked a little bit about without naming it direct. So I think there's something to consider there. When well, I mean, look at the Kennedys. They, yeah. They move, they, they moved from rich to the presidency from bootlegging. That that's it. That's the only that's the only explanation. Like what else would give you um you know again, like you said, the ability to to control everything from the top through the middle. You know, I, I tell I told the story to you about my grandfather who would never let a, a bad word be spoken about Mayor Haig, the famous New Jersey political boss and racketeer. Um because Mayor Haig offered him a job when he got back from the war, so nobody could say a bad word about him. And that worked for a lot of people, and it continues to work in new, more insidious forms, right? 
Um, there's a reason why certain people think that they want safe injection sites, right? Um, because they they will turn to anyone with a solution, right? And that is all part of this strategy of tension of, of trying to get you into the box, right? Because um, there's going to be enough. Their whole plan is is that they can continue to man- move and manipulate the box in order to keep you know, the middle 90% in the box, right? And that's what this whole strategy is about, right? Um, this is the stick of, of on the other end of record low interest rates since the great financial crisis, right? Um, we wouldn't play ball with their agenda, and, and now this is happening. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Um, so... What are the takeaways? What does all of this mean? Um, what, what are we saying is actually going on? Um, well, it's not one policy. It's a bunch of different policies, right? Um, this is gas stoves. This is forcing you into electric cars. This is Walmart not being able to make money in certain neighborhoods. This is the Manhattan DA not prosecuting really any quality of life crimes. This is the Hicklib from Ohio with a bad relationship with his dad um, saying to you, oh, well, you don't like tripping over hypodermic needles. That's just part and parcel of living in a big city. Uh, This is the rail system rotting. Right. This is the rail system rotting and covering its ass and and blaming you for your own dispossession. Because if you were better, you would have survived our onslaught. It's all connected, right? Yes. Yes, it is. There's no question in my mind, and I don't think there's a question in the mind of anyone who's going to be hearing this. Right. So let's bring it back full circle. Why the Cash App guy? What do we think actually happened? My my answer is is literally anything from this was a personal dispute. Um, You know, they were... This was a lover's quarrel. Um, you know, it is San Francisco after all. Um, to this guy personally stood to lose a lot of money after the short report. Um, but again, it stinks. And it stinks in all the right ways that they can use it against you for noticing. Um, it stinks in all the right ways where it's a warning for a lot of people who'd be on the fence. It's a warning to a lot of people who... Maybe they were talking to the short reporters because they were offered, uh, you know, a few points on the back end once once they kind of launched that speculative attack. Um, because you see that happen with big forex moves. You see that happen with people who are briefed on political events that are going to drive big forex moves. You know, maybe Bob wouldn't play ball. Maybe the other guy wouldn't play ball with Bob. Who knows? Maybe he was supposed to be the fall guy. Uh, maybe they were going to blame him for not running the third party compliance. So there's a real wild one, right? What if this was an actual self-defense scenario and he can't use that argument because of the other things that would come out about it? Wouldn't that be wild? I mean, as every lawyer will tell you, just discovery is a, is a wicked mistress. Oh, Again, who who knows who's getting cleaned up here? Uh, because it's not always moving in the direction that you think. 
uh, because people don't always know the nodes that they're occupying. People and one of another one of their insidious tricks is putting people in a node that they really shouldn't be in, um, so that they can be leveraged or routed around. Right, and uh, that's one you actually see a whole lot when your eyes sort of open up and you really start examining how these networks form. Right, right. You so find the person who's ambitious but not self confident. You right. find someone with a very particular set of skills. And you set them up in a job that can use those skills, but requires additional ones they don't have. Right. So they start leaning on someone further up the chain. There's a lot of that. Or you put somebody in a place where everybody knows that they don't really have a business being, uh, but it's advantageous for you know for there to be a B player where there should be an A minus player, uh, because we need to do certain things in the margins over here. Uh, any number of things, right? Um, and, and that's to go back and tie this all up in a neat little bow. That's why it's a strategy of tension uh, because nobody kind of knows which direction it's coming from. That's why it's coming from the left and from the right. That's why you have every other school shooter is a tranny and every other one is a right winger, right? Yeah. That's why you have, <laughs> that's why you have Puerto Rican guys <laughs> throwing Molotov cocktails at synagogues. Um, and you have, you know, black Hebrew Israelites shooting real, Jew, you know, real Orthodox Jews. Right. Yeah. Uh, because the whole thing is about keeping people unstable so that they, they never really know what's going on. So that best case their back is against the wall, but really there, there are no walls anymore. You know, you finally cover yourself up for the jabs, and all of a sudden you're taking crosses on the chin. Exactly. So, final thoughts, Paz? I think, I guess that despite all this conversation we've had about look where things aren't happening, and that being a principle I stand by, I also just want to throw out there the conventional conspiracy opinion that perhaps this was the sending of a message to a certain class or group of power brokers. But other than that, I think that in my heart of hearts, I am more closely aligned with what we've discussed. And as always, you've done an excellent job laying things out here for us. Well, thank you for having me. Um, and again, you know, as I would say to the audience, like, who knows what direction this is coming from? It could be exactly like you said, a, a straightforward sending of a message. Um, it could be an unrelated thing where the lingering suspicion it does in fact become the message, right? And and they are unrelated, but you're never going to hear. I mean, the only about the only thing that would convince most people that intelligence isn't involved is if the FBI comes out unprompted and says we weren't involved. <laughs> Uh, I suppose the other big takeaways before we finish wrapping up here is, as always, stay on your toes and look at the areas where no one else is. Right on. All right, man. I think that should do it for tonight. Uh, one more time, thank you so much for coming back. I always enjoy our conversations, man. Hey, me too, man. That was a lot of fun. All right, I will see you next time. Audience, right. be on the lookout for even more.